You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. I thought that the whole point of being more conscious and grounded and, you know, living a values-led life was like getting my planner out of the way and being more spontaneous. But actually, according to some recent studies, when we plan and schedule something fun into our calendar, we actually view that activity as 30% more fun than if we just did it spontaneously. Her money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Whether you're celebrating a milestone or adjusting to the unexpected, Fidelity's there to help you navigate life's important moments with confidence. Visit fidelity.com slash hermoney to learn more. Hey everybody, it's Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. So how many times over the last few months have you loaded the dishwasher, given the kids a bath, dialed into a less than productive Zoom meeting, put on a load of laundry, put on another load of laundry, cooked dinner, helped the kids with homework, because these days it's all homework. And I could go on. The point is that although by now we've all found our new COVID routines, we've also found our COVID ruts. And there is no rut like a COVID rut. Why? Because we don't have birthday parties or graduations to mark on our calendars. We don't have vacations to look forward to. We don't even have an opportunity to enjoy a slice of cake around the water cooler because we are not together. The The point is, it seems like all our milestones and celebrations have just been stripped from life and replaced with more drudgery, more responsibility, more adulting. And adulting is just hard. No one gets that more than our guest today, Katina Muntanos, a mindset coach and the author of On Adulting, How Millennials and Any Human Really Can Work Less, Live More, and Bend the Rules for Good. Katina is also the co-founder of the mental well-being startup Daydreamers and is getting her master's in clinical psychology at Columbia University. Hey, Katina. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. I'm thrilled to talk about this topic. I think no matter where you are in the curve of your adult life, it is something that we can all do a little bit better. So I'm thrilled. Tell me a little bit about you. How did you get going on the concept of adulting? Yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't relate more to your overview of what life is like today. Um, I actually started my career in finance, so I was very much used to the unproductive Zoom meetings, though they weren't in person. I started out in investment banking at Goldman Sachs and pretty quickly realized that that version of adulthood wasn't necessarily what was aligned with my values. And I really kind of started seeking out what those values were. And it wasn't necessarily anything that I had been taught to do before. So that was the beginning of the journey. And fast forward a couple of years, I've made a lot of personal shifts. And hopefully now I'm helping other people do the same. Katina, how do you define adulting? 
Yeah, it's a great question and one that I think a lot of people have different opinions on. But to me, when I think about the term adulting, it really comes down to this idea of making conscious decisions. I think a lot of times when we enter adulthood, we're kind of confronted with what our identity is. And also, we're kind of just living this life that's on this hamster wheel and really making decisions based on other people's choices or values or what we should be doing at any given time. So to me, really kind of stepping into adulthood is when you start to define your life on your own terms and really start to make choices that align with who you are and who you want to be. Do you think that uh, this pandemic, that COVID and the fact that so many of us are working, sleeping, eating, living, educating from home (laughs) has made the hamster wheel that you describe um, worse? Mm, Totally. Well, it's made the hamster wheel different in a way because in my opinion, it's really forced us to confront a lot of choices and pieces of our identity that we might not have necessarily recognized if we were running on that hamster wheel you know, outside of our homes 24-7 and really being able to distract ourselves. For example? Yeah, so I think it's definitely something that's kind of forced us to look at what adulting is and really start to get aware of what our conscious decisions might be. When you say that it's forced us to look at our lives in a different way, can you give me an example of what you mean? Yeah, I mean... I think that being home and kind of being in this mundane, seemingly mundane routine all the time has allowed us to sit with a lot of these emotions that we don't necessarily confront. So maybe as you um, so eloquently described as we load the dishwasher for the hundredth time in one week, we start to really confront like, what is this making me feel? And is this something that I'm okay with? And can I be okay with this if I allow myself to find some joy in other aspects of my life? So I think it's really finding that balance and being really honest with yourself at all times. So I actually see this time as a positive. I'm glad to hear it because your book Mm -hmm. offers some formulas for getting off the hamster wheel for figuring out, you know, what are your hamster components, but then figuring out how to do life differently. Can you take us through that process? Yeah, it's a great question. So interestingly, the book is split up into four different ways, but two of them really center on this idea of like, what is our hamster wheel and how can we make change using those terms? And one of them is in kind of a big picture strategic sense. So really starting to get clear on what those values are that are important to us, what our North Star is, what we're kind of working towards in life, and then starting to see where our relationships and finances and all of those big life components can play in. And that takes a lot of deep kind of reflective work. But on the flip side, there's a lot of tactical ways that we can make change in really simple ways in our everyday lives right in this moment, whether that's actually scheduling more fun, joy-filled activities into our everyday lives, 
or really starting to create routines that are mindful and give us the space to sit with those feelings and actually confront them. I want to ask you about what statement actually took you in another direction. Because as you made this change in your own life, what were the words that inspired you to get going? And for everybody's listening to us, we are taping this episode during a major thunderstorm and uh, we just switched methods of recording. So if it sounds a little different, that's why. Yeah. And thank you for that question. I think it's really when I started really reflecting on what my personal North Star statement was, I was looking outside of myself so much and really kind of grasping at what others were doing. And when I took a look inside, I kind of came up with this sentence, which I recommend if anyone has a journal or um, something to write this down, it's a really helpful practice to get into. And the method that I used and came up with was a sentence that went like this, I do what to help whom so that they can achieve what outcome. And so my personal North Star statement is I inspire millennials to find their passion and purpose so they can live a happier, healthier, and longer life. Okay. One more time on those blanks. I do what to help whom or who, right? So that they can X, Y, and Z. Yes. The outcome that you want to help them achieve. Okay. All right. Got it. We're going to put that in our show notes. So I think, I think that's a good way to get going. I want to dig into the small things too. I agree with you. Sometimes we have to make smaller changes just to open the pathway to give ourselves a little bit of space in our busy lives in order to do this exploration, right? We are caught in this loop where we absolutely have to load and unload the dishwasher more times than we ever thought possible. I mean, knock on wood, I am so, I am so shocked that my dishwasher is still going after eight months of COVID, but we're trying to embrace responsibility without sucking all the joy out of life. How do you do that? How do you live more consciously, more joyfully, and yet more responsibly at the same time? Yeah, I love that question. I feel like it's really the essence of what an adulting is seeking, right? And trying to answer. And I think in the small everyday ways, the way that I like to view it is kind of two ends of the spectrum. One is really allowing yourself and giving yourself space to slow down. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to, you know, take naps or do these outward um, expressions of slowing down, but really just allowing your mind to pause for a moment. And then on the flip side is really, as you said, injecting more joy and fun and excitement into your life so that you can start to really look for ways to thrive and get out of that hamster wheel. So some specifics that I like to recommend and like to practice myself and obviously, you know, science really backs up all of these different practices is on the mindful side, I really love this practice of turning my phone on airplane mode every night so that Mm. I can still use it for an alarm clock or, you know, being able to wake up, but so that I don't wake up 
starting my day in fight or flight mode and really launching into stress because I'm inundated with emails, you know, um, any kind of notification starting to scroll on my phone, which we know is directly linked to poor mental health outcomes. So um, this really small, like five second practice is so impactful for me. And it allows me to start my day in a slower, more mindful, more conscious way, which is really a great time for all of us to spend some time slowing down, being quiet. And if you have the space for it, maybe journaling or meditating, if that's, you know, something that you're interested in practicing. It's a little like, for me, starting my day with a little bit of exercise, like I always know it's going to be a better day if I started off on the right foot. Totally. Yeah. And that's definitely something that we know based on research actually helps us. If we start with one practice that allows us to increase our endorphins or not necessarily, as I said, launch into that intense fight or flight heightened nervous system, we actually view our day in a much more positive and productive way. So I think that's a really great practice to have. Um, But yeah, then on the flip side of like starting to inject more joy into our lives, when I was researching for the book, I found this really interesting study. um, And I'm a super type A planner person. And I thought that the whole point of being more conscious and grounded and, you know, living a values-led life was like getting my planner out of the way and being more spontaneous. But actually, according to some recent studies, when we plan and schedule something fun into our calendar, it could literally be like dancing for five minutes or I don't even anything that's fun and small. We actually view that activity as 30% more fun than if we just did it spontaneously. So I think that's kind of a hopeful finding for all of us that if everything feels too overwhelming and you don't feel like you have time for fun, you can actually slot it into your calendar and it will be just as or if not more fun than it would be if you just did it on its own. That's incredibly helpful um, because I am one of those people who sort of feels like sometimes things have to be spontaneous in order mm-hmm. to to be joyful, but I'm very glad that they don't. I do want to talk about the balancing of all of this because I think that's it's not just a question, but it's a financial question. But before I do that, I want to remind everyone that Her Money is proudly sponsored by Fidelity Investments. Some of life's important moments are planned for way in advance. We schedule them, while others we don't see coming. And as always, Fidelity is here to help you navigate both the joyous and the unexpected events with confidence. Their resources, guides, and tools can help guide you through important financial decisions when you need it most. Visit fidelity.com slash hermoney to learn more. We are back having a wonderful conversation on adulting. That's the name of the book, how millennials and any human really can work less, live more, and bend the rules for good. So Katina, when we talk about trying to balance responsibility with joy, it it also sounds to me like trying to balance work with not work. And the amount of time you work actually does impact your finances. 
right? It, it does impact how much you have coming in. And for that reason, I think particularly a lot of millennials who are saddled with student loan debt sometimes feel like they can't get off that treadmill. How do you encourage them to do that? That's such a great question and definitely something I could personally relate to. I also went to college um, and came out with student loans and, you know, was money was definitely a mindset shift that I really had to personally work, work through and talk about a lot in the book. Um, but I think that in my opinion and my experience, this really comes back down to the way that we think about and approach these aspects of our lives. And a lot of times the words responsibility and work and laundry and bill paying can be really overwhelming mentally and feel like an immense burden. And then on the side of fun, we associate that with spending a ton of money or having to live a certain lifestyle in order to achieve that. And I think to me, the concept of adulting and um, really being more conscious and living a values-led life is something where we could view all aspects of our lives as something we have to work on and towards and maybe difficult, but they also can bring an immense amount of fulfillment and excitement and joy. So to me, I think it's really starting to practice, like, how do I look at this experience? Is it something that I'm really dreading or something that I am not, you know, putting my fullest effort into because I'm scared of it or scared of the you know, there's a lot of fear associated with it. Or am I viewing it as something that I know that I have my fullest potential to um, achieve and I really trust myself to start to step into the life that I want to lead? Um, so I know that that's not necessarily a tactical answer, but I think that starting to really focus on and get honest with the way that we um view our lives can be really the starting point of this new perspective that we bring to everything that we do. When we were speaking earlier, you said something I loved, which is that it's easy for us to have a sense of who we are when things are going as planned. Why is it important to know who we are when nothing is going like you thought it would, i.e. right now? Yes, totally. I mean, oh my gosh, I feel like Honestly, we could say no time ever goes according to plan. Um, but I think going back to that North Star statement, it really allows us to tap into those deep aspects and understanding of who we want to be and start to assess if our lives are going in that direction. So I think a really small example of that is during this time, I've received a lot of feedback from the unadulting community that the way that they spend their time is in one of two ways. And we've talked about this quite a bit, where we're either um, working or we're doing chores or even scrolling on our phones or have the TV on in the background. And it feels like everything is draining. Um, but I think if we start to really assess how we spend our time, a lot of people would say that they spend a much lower amount of time than they actually do doing things that they don't want. So I think starting to really use that North Star statement and getting honest about 
where we are in our lives and then measuring who we want to be is a practice that comes immense need in times like this when everything feels like a chore. That makes a ton of sense. So really, really keeping a time log, even if you do it for, for a couple of days or, or even a full week. Um, last question. I know you've spoken a lot about giving in to your daydreams, and that is a, a big area of focus for you. What does it mean, and how can we do it realistically? I love that question. So I think that especially millennials, and I'm sure, you know, anyone living in our modern world, we kind of have this high expectation of where we should be at any given time. So especially in our world right now, we're kind of looking at what our life should have been like in 2020. And I think that's where we start to get in this really dangerous pattern, right, where we're constantly comparing to what things should be instead of kind of seeing what they are and viewing them as what they could be. So I think to me, this idea of like giving into your daydream is really starting to understand where does your mind go when you're in the flow, when you're doing one of those joyful things? Where does it start to really pick up excitement and steam instead of in those draining moments when you're like, I wish I could be anywhere but here? And I think getting really practical, starting to outline where in your life you could practice that a little bit more. And it doesn't need to be these big things, but maybe you notice when you go on walks or exercise in the morning, like you said, every day, you feel so good. Um, so starting to, in that outline that we just said, where you kind of map out how you spend your time, starting to really insert little moments of excitement and stuff where you feel like you're in the flow. So you could start to collect more and more of that. I think that's fantastic advice. Katina Muntanos, the book is on adulting. And where else can we find more information about you and your work and your community? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, you can definitely find me on Instagram or any form of social media at On Adulting or on my website, which is onadulting.com. And I would love to hear from you. I'm always available through email or DM. Um, and I can't wait to hear what you think about the book. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And we will be right back with Catherine and your mailbag. And it's time to say hi to her money's Catherine Tuggle. Hey, Catherine. Hello, Jean. Great episode. Love that. That was fun. That was fun. Thank you for teeing that up. Of course. Yeah. I think uh, her book speaks to a lot of the things that so many of us are going through no matter our age. Well, and I know she's focusing on millennials, but I kept thinking like, hello, you, you know, you're talking to me. You're talking, I mean, I think she is. I think you're right. She's talking to everybody who's listening. Yeah, 100%. I think whether you have kids at home or not, this is just an odd year. And uh, I know she started writing the book well before the pandemic, but it couldn't be more perfect timing. My two big takeaways are to schedule those little joyful moments so that I can enjoy them 30% more. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> we'll be dancing in the hallways, dancing in the, I don't know, <laughs> dancing in the laundry rooms, <laughs> whatever, for five minutes. And that if you bother to track your time, you don't spend as much time as you think doing the stuff you hate. 
Yeah, I've heard this from a lot of people. There's the, do you know the Pomodoro method no. of timing things? No. Um, basically, you set a 20-minute timer, and you set this 20-minute timer, and you do the things that you hate or the things that you've been procrastinating or the things that you're dreading. And across the board, I have found, and I've heard from my friends who've done it, that before that timer goes off, you're done with this evil thing that has been hanging over you that you haven't wanted to do. Wow. And is that named for spaghetti pomodoro? Because it doesn't take more than 20 minutes to make a pomodoro sauce? No, I think this is the guy who invented it. And I'm probably getting (laughs) all of this wrong. But (laughs) it's a 20, you set a 20 minute timer, you do the thing you've been procrastinating, and you move on with your life. Oh my God, this is going to be really good for me. (laughs) And it's just something about, like, we don't need the 20-minute timer, right? It's just something about the act of doing it and saying, okay, these are my 20 minutes. I can survive anything for 20 minutes. Let's go. Right. And if it's not done in the 20 minutes, then you're kind of off the hook because you gave yourself the 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You can come back and finish it up another 20-minute time. Exactly. Cool. Exciting. All right. I'm just parsing this. I I, I hope I'm getting this right. No, I'm sure you're getting it right. But I'm I'm thinking about those photo albums that I've been meaning to go through that kitchen cabinet where I know I have stuff that has to go that I I need to toss, but I've been procrastinating. This is good. I actually, it's 25 minutes. (sighs) Catherine, Um, five more minutes. It's 25 minutes. (laughs) It's okay. Um, (laughs) But yeah. It was invented in the late 1980s. The technique uses a timer to break down work into intervals traditionally 25 minutes in length separated by short breaks. And is it named for Mr. or Ms. Pomodoro? Well, it says it was invented by Francisco Cerillo. So I don't know where he got Pomodoro. I'm telling you, it's the sauce. (laughs) It's a quick spaghetti sauce. Like you could make a Pomodoro like very, very quickly. Oh, Okay. It says each interval is known as a pomodoro from the Italian word for tomato after the tomato-shaped kitchen timer that Cirillo used as a university student. Wrong again. I'm wrong again. That's all right. I'm definitely putting this to use in my life. I like I like how we solve a problem here over the course of like <laughs> 30 minutes with the help of Google. Exactly. Great, Great work. <laughs> my my mind worked a whole lot better before I was able to look everything up, but I think that's a pretty common ailment. Um, all right, let's help some other people before we go down a rabbit hole that we cannot get out of. Yes, I'm now Googling for where to buy this little tomato timer. Okay. Our first question comes to us from a member of our private Harmony Facebook group. She writes, I've been listening to the Harmony podcast all throughout college and during my first big girl job. I've been out of college for four years and have graduated with my MBA and I'm currently working at a 401k company. You would probably say that Harmony is the perfect podcast for me and it is. However, despite being in the finance industry, I still feel lost with stocks. I put money in my brokerage account, and I lost so much money over the past year due to a risky and undiversified portfolio and, of course, COVID. Finance 101, diversify, diversify. I don't know what I was thinking. I want to cash out my huge loss so I can at least have some cash to reinvest. I need advice and encouragement here as I'm so disappointed in myself for being a finance major and a huge advocate for saving money. How could I do such a risky thing? One financial rep with an insurance company suggested putting the remaining cash into a mutual fund. What do you think? Please help a young independent girl who doesn't want to ask her parents for help on this. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much for writing. And let me just say, I want you to give yourself a break. That's really what I want. You are doing 
incredibly well. I mean, four years out of college, I wasn't even thinking about stocks. So you're on this problem with plenty of time, plenty of decades to turn the situation around from where you are right now, diversify your portfolio and get on the right track. But you are leaps and bounds ahead of where so many other people your age happen to be. So I just want you to cut yourself a little bit of slack here. It's hard for me to tell if the money in your brokerage account is also in your 401k. If it's in your 401k and you want to rebalance your investment to get the mix out of these riskier stocks and into a low cost diversified fund, an index fund, an ETF, something that is invested in the whole market or a target date fund where it will rebalance as you get older, it'll take slightly less risk as you get older. I am totally, totally fine with that. The one thing I want to make sure is that you don't pull money out of your 401k unnecessarily. If it's in a taxable brokerage account, you can do very much the same thing. Just be careful of the tax implications of what you sell and how you reinvest the money. Because you have losses, you probably won't have any taxes owed, so you don't have to worry about that. But I agree that a fund is probably the better place for you to start. And I would like to see it be a very low cost, very diversified sort of a fund. Then if you want to learn about stocks one by one, if you want to take a little bit of money on the side and you want to put it in a particular stock that you've taken time to research, to learn about, to decide on your own that you believe has a particularly great future based on the fundamentals of that stock. In other words, how that company isn't expected to do in the future, I am I am good with that. Just try to do it with a little bit of a plan so that the vast majority of your money, A, goes into a 401k where you get some tax advantages for investing, and B, goes into that very broadly diversified fund. The other thing that I also want to say is that I want you to look at these investments one more time. We have been, since the election, going through some changes in the market where the things that did well leading up to the election are not the same companies that are doing well in the last couple of trading sessions. It's called a a rotation in the market. You may be surprised to see some of these coming back. So before you sell out wholesale, have another look at the fundamentals and see if any of these are things that you believe will come back and you believe are worth holding on to for the future. I love that advice. And also, I think, to start your career and your investing journey with a market downturn is kind of a trial by fire. I kind of feel like if you make it through this, you can make it through anything. No so, question. I think it's it's key to just appreciate the lessons that you're learning along the way because it's going to make you a better and more informed investor over the course of your life. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't say where you were working, but the fact that you're working for a 401k company makes me hope that they have a pretty good 401k. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Our next question comes to us from Adrian. She writes, 
Hi, Jean and the Harmony team. New listener here, and I'm enjoying your podcast very much. My employer offers a 401k with a 3% match, and I contribute 6%. They also offer an HSA plan for the 2021 calendar year, which I'll be eligible for once I switch plans. And when I switch, I'll be paying half the price of my current premium. My plan is to put the difference into the HSA, which is roughly 3% of my total income. I've heard you recommend a 15% total contribution to retirement. Do you count this 3% HSA contribution toward that 15% or should it not be included since there's always a chance I'll need the money for medical expenses before I hit retirement? Thanks so much for your advice and all you do for women and their money. I love this question because A, it's open enrollment time for many people right now and more and more people find that they've got the option of putting money into a health savings account or HSA because they have enrolled in a high deductible health plan. You're right about the fact that an HSA can be considered a supplemental retirement account. The way these accounts work you make a contribution with pre-tax dollars, much like you do with a 401k. The money grows tax-free if you invest it, like you can in a 401k. And when you pull it out, as long as you use it for qualified medical expenses, you pay no taxes on it. The way it becomes a supplemental retirement account is if you choose to just contribute and contribute and contribute to your HSA while paying for healthcare outside of the account through your other cash flow, then that money can in effect become another account that you can just use in retirement to pay for medical premiums, Medicare premiums, other medical expenses, or if you use it to pay for non-medical things, it can be treated like a 401k withdrawal once you hit retirement age. That said, I don't know that I would count it as a part of that 15%. I think that the likelihood that you'll have zero medical expenses between now and retirement is pretty slim. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, when a medical expense comes around, are you going to pay for it out of the HSA or outside of the HSA? If you're going to pay for it from the HSA, then I would say definitely don't count the HSA. But the other thing that's making me think that you should consider that 3% a separate pool is this annual survey that they do at Fidelity looking at the cost of medical expenses above and beyond retirement for a 60-year-old couple, above and beyond Medicare. And these are non-reimbursable medical expenses that hit a 65-year-old couple in retirement. And the number has been going up every year. The last time I looked at it, it was somewhere around two hundred eighty or $290,000. So just that piece of research alone makes me think that you probably want to keep this separate. And if you can contribute the full 15% to retirement and the 3% to the HSA, I would go ahead and do that. Love that plan. Thanks, Jean. It's confusing, man. There are a lot of permutations. And there's also the fact that years come along and we're not able to contribute exactly what we'd hope to contribute. So we have to continually reevaluate those things. Oh, one other thing. 
just one other small piece of advice. If you do go with the plan where you are paying your HSA expenses, your healthcare expenses outside of the HSA, I want you to set up a really, really good filing system for all of your medical expenses from now until kingdom come. And the reason for this is that when you eventually do pull the money out of the HSA, as long as you have receipts to write off against those withdrawals, then you can take the money and you can use it for whatever you want. I love that advice. I mean, record keeping is uh, so important to eliminate so many of the unknowns in retirement. And so hard. But but yes, you need a plan. Absolutely. Our last question comes to us from Nancy. She writes, Hi, Jean. I'm a 58-year-old married woman who was laid off back in May. I've been actively searching for another full-time permanent position with benefits, including medical and a 401k plan. I'm fortunate in that I landed a three-month temp gig with a previous employer, but it pays a straight hourly wage with no benefits. For many years, I've maxed out my contributions to my 401k plan. What options do I have now for retirement contributions? Are there income limitations that I should be aware of? My husband makes around $110,000 annually, and he also maximizes his 401k contributions. Thanks in advance for your advice. Love your podcast. Thank you so much, and I'm sorry about the job, but I hope you find another one soon. Meanwhile, yeah, you've got two basic options. Your first is to put money in an IRA because you are over 50, you have the ability to make an additional $1,000 catch-up contribution. So the regular IRA contribution, whether you put the money into an IRA or a Roth for both 2020, but also for 2021 is $6,000, but $7,000 if you're 50 or older. If you're making that contribution based on your own income, you have to have the income to back it up. But because you have a spouse in the workforce, you can, even if you had no income, make the same contribution. It's called a spousal IRA. And as long as you have a spouse in the workforce, you are eligible to do that. You asked about income limits. There are income limits for the Roth for single people, because we have some single people listening. Your modified adjusted gross income has to be under $139,000 for this tax filing year to contribute to a Roth. And if you're married, it has to be under $206,000 for this filing year. That's 2020. The other option that you have available to you, and I put this on the table because it's a way to contribute more money if you're able, is to open a SEP IRA. A SEP IRA is for self-employment income. So if you are getting a 1099 for this job that you have now or any job that you may have in the future, you're eligible to contribute up to 25% of whatever you earn each year with a max of $57,000 for 2020. So whichever is lower, 25% of your compensation or $57,000 for the year 2020. So if you want to really stash away a very big part of your earnings, the SEP IRA, which you open, same place you open a regular IRA, i.e. any brokerage firm will enable you to do that. 
Great advice. I love my SEP IRA. Yeah, I've got one too from a long time ago. I love it too. It's still still chugging along very, <laughs> very nicely. Hey, Catherine, before I talk about today's Thrive story, a couple of pieces of her money news I wanted to just bring up. We started an ambassador program. And I know that our podcast listeners love her money as much as anybody else. And so if you guys are willing to spread the word about her money, we've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we got we got a lot of her money swag and we would just love to send it your way. But more than that, we would love to have your friends and your family as a part of this community. And so what you have to do to be part of this ambassador program is go to hermoney.com, subscribe to our newsletters if you haven't already. And when you start to see the newsletters, there will be a box where you can share a link to the people that you love to get them on board with the content that we're producing. And it's just a way to bring them along financially like you've been coming along financially as part of the Her Money family. Absolutely. And I think that the content that we're putting out there right now is so important. When people's financial futures do feel a little uncertain and our community is so strong and so vibrant on Facebook and in the newsletters and at hermoney.com. And we just would love for everybody to join us. Yeah, absolutely. And while you're doing that, take a moment. And I know I usually ask for this at the end of the podcast, but leave us a review. It's been a while since we made a a pitch for reviews in the middle of the podcast, but we really do want to know what you think. So wherever you get your podcasts, preferably on Apple Podcasts, leave us leave us a, a couple sentences about what you like and why you're here. And um, five stars would be great, but we really do want to know what your thoughts are. Absolutely. And I get every email that comes in to mailbag at harmony.com comes straight to me. So if you have an idea for a show, I would love to hear it. Anything you guys want to send to mailbag, I'm here for all of it. Fantastic. Thank you. And thank you for being here for all of it. It, it makes my life a lot easier, but also a lot more fun. Aw, thanks, Jean. We have a dream team. We do. We do. We do. In today's Thrive, let's talk about job interview follow-up etiquette during COVID times. Once you have nailed that Zoom interview, which let's face it, is strange enough, then there's the hurdle of the best way to follow up with a thank you. If you're as big a fan of the handwritten thank you note as I am, then I hate to break it to you, but you're out of luck. Most employers' corporate offices are closed these days, and asking for your interviewer's home address, that is a surefire way not to get offered the job. So what do you do? Well, first, a phone call is also a no-go. Calls can interrupt your hiring manager's workflow during the day and make you stand out in all the wrong ways. That means a good old-fashioned email is the way to go. But what do you write? Your thank you note email should always include the following. First, your thanks for the opportunity to meet with the interviewer or interviewers. Second, something you learned about the job or the company and how it relates to your skill set and experience. You want to remind the interviewer that you would be a great fit to the team. And then a final thanks with a sentence letting the interviewer know that if there are any other questions, you are more than happy to answer them. 
at hermoney.com this month, we've got a story with three job interview thank you note email templates that will walk you through exactly what to say. But the best ones follow a bit of a formula. So go ahead and check it out. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Katina Muntanos for her insight on some ways that we can all break free from routine while also continuing to meet all of life's ever-increasing demands during these crazy times. If you like what you hear, as I said, subscribe to the show leave us a review. We really look forward to hearing what you think. We want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.